do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Hey, being an authentic follower of Jesus Christ isn't something that we should do part-time. Being an authentic follower of Jesus isn't something that we should do occasionally. Being an authentic follower of Jesus is one that lives a life that's meant to go all in. You know, we've been in this series and going through this series so that you may know. And John, who we know from both the Bible and from history, was a real first century follower of Jesus. John really did see Jesus do the things that he said he did. He really did see Jesus die. And he really did see Jesus rise again from the dead three days later. And John lived his life in a way where he said with his life, look, if you meet somebody who says that they are going to die at a certain time, and then they're going to raise themselves from the dead with their own power, and then they actually do it, man, John lived his life in a way when he says, I'm going to do everything that guy said. And I really do believe, church, that's the type of life that we should live. In fact, I want to live my life in a way where I want to go all in. Not to be perfect, but to be authentic. Not living without sin, but letting God do his sanctifying, purifying work in me, even through the blessings and church, even through the trials. Going all in, all my life with all of my life. Today, we're going to see John challenge and really continue to challenge the church to go all in and to love one another. We've been commanded to love one another. We've been challenged to love one another. And in fact, we're going to get right into it. We're going to get right into the passage today with some congregational reading. And today you're going to see the passage up on the screen that we're going to do. And guys, when we look at this again, I want you to know that what we're reading isn't just some words on a page. It isn't just some words on a screen. What we're reading is history, but it is God-breathed. What we're reading is useful for profitable, profitable for teaching and correcting and training in righteousness so that every single one of us may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What we're reading today is the word of God. So let's all go ahead and stand. And I'll remember when we do this congregational reading, you're going to see some word on the screen that are in bold. We're going to all read those words in bold together. And then the words not in bold, I'll just read those parts, okay? So let's go ahead and get right into this passage today as we read the word of God. First John chapter 3, starting in verse 11. It says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. 
we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And by this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Have you ever thought about the fact that God knows everything? He knows every single thing about you. He knows that sin that you stepped out of that you thought you had gotten victory over, but you stepped back into it this week. He knows the fight that you had on the way to church this morning with the people that were in the car with you. He knows that you are going through something right now that you don't know how in the world you're going to make it through. God knows everything, everything. And yes, this God is transcendent. He is holy, he is pure, he is far above it all, but yet he is also imminent. And even though he knows everything about you, church, he wants to be close to you. He knows everything. John says, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, he says, we have this confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Now, before you head to your seat, I want you to take a moment and I want you to announce my very first point to three people sitting next to you and high five three people around you, okay? So we're gonna high five three people and tell my first point, love one another. High five three people and tell them love one another. Look, in case you missed it, John reaffirms a command that the Lord has given us. And number one, write it down, love one another. Church, isn't there something so simple and compelling about this command and this challenge to love one another? In fact, when you hear that phrase, love one another, there's almost something inside of us that it almost even cries out, man, this is what we need to do. It almost cries out, man, this is what we were even designed to do. Look, even if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, like when you hear that phrase, love one another, there's something compelling in you that, man, screams out, man, this is what we were designed, even called to do. So isn't there something so compelling 
and so simple and even purpose bringing in that phrase, love one another. But isn't there also something so challenging about it? Look again what John says here in verse 11. He says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And here he's saying the message that you have heard from the beginning, it's a reference to the gospel. It's a reference that they first heard this good news, that even though there was sin in them, and even though sin was earning them death, Jesus came to pay the price for their sins. And even though this sin was earning them death because it's Jesus who is God came and he died on the cross to pay the price for those sins and he bodily rose from the dead three days later, conquering sin and death and the grave, making a way because they repented of their sins, because they believed in Jesus, because they received the life that he wanted for them, they have now been set free. He says, this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. But right alongside that message, they were given the command the challenge, the calling to love one another. In fact, early in this letter in 1 John chapter 2, John said this is both something old and it's something new in loving one another. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, this command, this challenge, this calling has been repeated over and over and over again. In fact, even right here, John is giving a bit of a throwback to what he wrote in the Gospel of John about two years later when he was recording the words of Christ. In John chapter 15, verse 12, Jesus himself says, look, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Now, right there in that verse, I want you to make note of that because we're going to come back to that in just a few minutes, okay? Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And he says, these things I command you, that you love one another. And Jesus repeats the same thing again in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if, church, if you love one another. Does it sound like Jesus himself wanted us to make sure that we knew how important it is to love one another? He even said, look, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If there is this evidence of a family resemblance that you are in Christ, we are commanded to love one another in the same way that Jesus himself has loved us. Look, this is so simple, yet so challenging. It's something old, it's something new, but it's what we're called to do. Look, in this passage today, I want to highlight this to one another's, and then I want to ask you two questions. So the first one is love one another. But here is my first question I want to ask you. When thinking about this phrase, 
loving one another? Is there an absence of love on display in your life right now? Is there an absence of love on display in your life? If we've been commanded, church, called to love one another, is there an absence of that love on display in your life? In fact, look again what John says in verse 11. He says, we should love one another. He says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and he murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. He says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. He says, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Again, right now, is there an absence of love on display in your life? And in fact, me using the term just absence might be too weak of a question to ask. Because John uses this this correlation between the story of Cain and Abel, talking about how it is that we are to love one another and what the very opposite of that is. He places this example in strong comparison, trying to help the church see how important this command is that Jesus has given us. Now, here's kind of the the Reader's Digest version or the Cliff Notes version of Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain and Abel were sons of Adam and Eve. They were sons of Adam and Eve, and Cain hated his brother because his brother Abel would bring these incredible offerings to the Lord. And Cain became very jealous because really what Cain was doing, he was simply bringing his scraps. And so as he was jealous of his brother, anger and bitterness began to grow in Cain's heart to the point where he wanted to see his brother destroyed. In fact, Cain killed his brother. It was an absence of love on display and a lack of love in his heart that led him to anger, jealousy, and even hatred. And again, church, right now, Is there an absence of love on display in your life that's building up anger, hatred, or even jealousy that might even lead to murder? But maybe in more obvious terms, okay, maybe in the more obvious term is not the word murder, but is it the type of of the opposite of what God has called us to that's building in your life right now that's leading to evil actions or words or even violent behaviors toward others? See, sometimes the lack of love that we're showing right now is caused by the hurt that we have experienced ourselves. Look, is there hurt or even hate in your heart right now? Look, hurt people hurt people. So right now, are you giving hurt or even hate to somebody else because of what's been done to you or what you have experienced? Look, is that hurt causing you to hurt others? You know, I can remember when I was a kid, I used to get an allowance of about $5 a month, okay? And I know right now, if you're a kid, like that's gone up dramatically. Uh, But in the 1900s, the late 1900s, when I was a kid, and I would receive my allowance for doing my chores, it usually equates about $5 a month, somewhere right around there. So I can remember when I got to be about, I think it was about eight or nine years old, I'd done my chores and got my little $5 a month, and I had earned $20. And I was pretty proud of myself. I'd save the 20 bucks 
which was quite a bit of money for me, okay? I started dreaming about what I could get, maybe a new Walkman, uh, maybe a cartload of candy from the store. Like, I started dreaming about what I could get with that $20. And um, we had a, a relative who lived close by us, and um, she would come over from time to time, and one time she came over, she was asking me, she's like, how much money have you earned from doing all your tours? And I said, I've earned $20. And she's like, that is fantastic. She's like, that is so good. And she even said, how about, how about I borrow that $20, and then when I get paid next week, I will give you that $20 back. And I remember thinking, okay, here's an adult that I trust in um, who's asking for something and said, next week, she's going to pay me back. So I remember thinking, okay, fine. I said, I said, okay, auntie. My voice was a lot higher pitched back then. I said, okay, auntie, here's this $20 and you can pay me back next week. And I gave her the money and I waited till next week for her to pay me back. The next week came and she said, Hey, I'm not able to pay you back this week, but next week, okay, next week, I'll pay you back. Church, next week came, no $20. Next month came, no $20. Next year came, no $20. Church, it has been 35 years, still no $20. And I remember there is so often, like, she kept saying to me, like, oh, I'm going to pay you back. It's going to come. Like, I'm, but she never kept her word. And you may say, you know what, Andrew, calm down. It's just 20 bucks. That's nothing, okay? Well, again, as a kid, that meant a lot to me. And again, here was an adult that I trusted that took something away from me that I was never going to get back. And in that moment, there was this bitterness and this anger that started to grow in my heart toward her. And I remember, some of you guys may know my story, like I I trusted Christ when I was in college and God began to radically change my life. In fact, I remember I'd been forgiven so much. I'd been forgiven so much and I became new in Christ. New life had began in him. He was radically changing my life. And then shortly after trusting Christ, I moved back home. I moved back home to our house in Florida. One of the things that I would do with this relative, like anytime she would call the house because I was so angry and embittered toward her, anytime I would see her number come up on the caller ID, I would pick up the phone, wouldn't even say hi, and I would just hang up on her. Because I was so angry at what she had done to me and what she was doing to other people. And I wanted her to hurt in some way. I wanted her to suffer in some way because she was causing so much hurt to other people. I remember after trusting Christ, I went home. And I remember it was probably the first time I was back home and I saw her number come up on the caller ID. And just out of instinct, I picked up the phone and I hung up on her. And it's like, as soon as that phone clicked, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I didn't know much Bible then, but I guess I maybe have heard it taught on, but Ephesians chapter four, verse 32 came to mind where it says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ had forgiven you. And it's like the Lord reminded me, have I not forgiven you of so much? Will you not forgive someone else in the same way that I've forgiven you? I remember that moment I had to repent to the Lord. And then I actually called her and I repented to her as well, asking her to forgive me, saying the way that I was treating her. And you know what? She didn't even realize it. And in fact, after asking her for forgiveness and forgiving her, her behavior did not change, but I did. Her behavior did not change, but in that moment, man, Christ began to make me new. 
See, church, it was in that moment where there was this absence of love on display that was manifesting itself as this bitterness and this unforgiveness towards someone else. And what John is saying right here, what John is saying, look, whoever does not love abides in death. Look, he's saying that bitterness and hatred are not the way. In fact, I think some of us may be in this room right now or even watching online and you have an absence of love on display because bitterness and hatred has said that there is a better way. But just like Cain, that way is death. Well, let me tell you, there is the way, the truth, and the life. Church, would you walk in the light? Would you love one another? Would you forgive one another? In fact, all throughout this letter, John keeps reminding us, look, there are patterns being built in your life that are determining who it is that you're becoming tomorrow. So right now, is there a pattern being built in your life of hatred and hurt that you're pouring out on other and an absence of love on display? Look, these patterns being built in your life right now, they are a testimony of the family that you belong to and that who you are identifying with. Look, is it death or life? Is it hatred or love? Is it bitterness or forgiveness? Again, John warns us not to let hatred define who we are, but instead to let the love of God toward one another define who we are. So I ask you again one more time, is there an absence of love on display in your life right now? Second question, okay, when we're talking about loving one another, is there a need for an abundance of love to be put on display towards someone in your life right now? Okay, is there a need right now for you to put on an abundance, an abundance of love, a display of an abundance of love towards somebody else right now? Again, look how John continues in verse 14. He says that we know we have passed out of death into life. Because we love the brothers. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? He says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So let me talk to the brothers and sisters in the church for a moment. When we're talking about, is there a need for an abundance of love to be put on display right now? Are you wrestling right now with church hurt? Sometimes we, we don't fully realize, and sometimes we don't expect it, but have you ever thought about that the people who are sitting in this church and maybe other churches you've sat before in are not perfect? Look, I know sometimes like we may try to put it on that way, but none of us are perfect in any way. And in fact, if I have not hurt you in some capacity yet, it's probably going to happen at some point. I'm just giving you fair warning. But the truth of the matter is, even if there is church hurt, we are to love one another. We are to forgive one another. Remember, the church isn't this building, right? You've been to church, but you are the church. The people that John is talking about loving here is the people in the church. It's the bride of Christ. 
Look, even if you've experienced church hurt in some way before, do you still love the bride of Christ? Do you still love the people? You know, one of the things that we do here is something called We Are Coastal. And when we go through We Are Coastal, we want to give this picture of how we want to really, really aim to live out these words as we connect, grow, serve, and multiply. And in fact, every time we do We Are Coastal, one of the things that I challenge the people to do is that when you are in this church for however long God had you, would you go all in? Because one of the ways that you love one another is by going all in. And we create this simple pathway to practice loving one another and connecting, growing, serving, and multiplying. Because at the end of the day, when we go all into the church, man, we're loving the bride of Christ. When we go all into the church, we're actually loving one another. So I want to challenge you, okay? Like, if this is your first Sunday or maybe second Sunday, maybe even third Sunday, you can ignore me on this, right? But if you've been coming now for a few months, maybe even a year, why wouldn't you go all in? Look, if you're going to bet on something, if you're going to give your life to something, why wouldn't you do that with the church? Look, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, he says, look, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Look, I've told you before, I'm going to say it again. Look, we're all a bit messed up, but we know the Messiah. All of us are a bit jacked up in in this place, but hey, we know Jesus. So why wouldn't you go all in and put this into practice and really love one another? One of the ways that you can put an abundant display on love is by leaning in and going all in to the church. So let me also just talk to the actual brothers and sisters. Look, are you loving one another? Look, your actual people in your home, are you actually loving those people? Because this command to love one another isn't just for the people that you see on Sunday morning, but the actual people in your home, are you loving your literal brothers and sisters, not acting in hate toward them? Look, husbands and wives, are you loving one another? Or has the love grown cold? Look, are you actually loving one another and serving one another? Look, church, loving one another, it must be intentional. And right now, is there an absence of love? Is there someone that you need to put an abundance of love on display toward? Because we must love one another, and it must be intentional. Second, one another I want to share with you today is simply this. We need to pray for one another. Look, we need to love one another. We need to pray for one another. Again, listen to how John continues in verse 19. He says, by this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, so God is so much greater than our heart. He knows everything. He says, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And in verse 22, he says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. No, we talked about how John continually has been repeating himself over and over and over again all throughout this letter. And again, he's writing to the church and he's repeating to the church again. Look, our hearts can condemn us. 
Look, we can go through seasons or even moments where we start to feel the weight of our sin and guilt and shame again. And he's already reminded us that we have a real accuser out there who's all the time condemning the brothers and sisters. But remember, you have an advocate. But sometimes he's also said, reminded us, look, sometimes that condemnation that we feel or that we sense from our sin and our shame, look, is not coming from without, from Satan himself, but sometimes it's even come from, from, from within, with our own doubts, with our own worries. And what John is saying here, look, we need one another. We need to love one another. Because yes, we do have a real enemy out there. But even in the middle of our own doubts or worries or fears, sometimes we can even begin to live in that guilt or shame again. And we need to love one another, but we need to pray for one another. I love how right in between this incredible command has been repeated so many times. And this reminder to live in God's will and to be obedient to him. John says, look, whatever we ask from him, we need to ask whatever we have from him because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is a reminder that our confidence with God And loving one another is sandwiched in this challenge to pray for one another. And we pray for one another in accordance with God's will. In fact, it isn't just here that we're commanded or shown or challenged to pray for one another. In John chapter 15, verse 16 through 17 that we read a little bit earlier, again, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul writes, Look, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep an alert, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. James writes, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Paul writes in Colossians 1 verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 16, Paul writes, Look, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstance, for this is the will of God for Christ Jesus or in Christ Jesus for you. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And then Paul says, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Look, church, we are challenged. We are commanded to pray for one another. So here's my two questions. The first one is, who is it that you need to pray for consistently? Who is it right now that you need to actually pray for, go to the Lord for, seek the Lord on their behalf? Who is it that you need to pray for consistently? Now, here's a list like maybe to get you started or thinking in case no one's coming to mind right now. The first one is like, do you need to pray for those who are far from God? 
You know, some of you guys may remember that a few months ago, we put all these little colorful cards on all the seats around here. And many of you wrote down names of people, family members, friends, coworkers that are far from God right now. And I want you to know that every single Sunday, we have a prayer team that meets in our little prayer chapel straight out these doors over there somewhere in another part of our building. Every single Sunday, that prayer team is going through this list of names that they are going to the Lord on behalf of those people that you wrote down who are far from God. We're praying for them, but have you stopped praying for them? Look, right now, is there someone that you know who's far from God that you stopped praying for, that you need to consistently pray for? Would you pray for one another? Maybe it's the actual brothers and sisters in the church. Look, when someone gives you a prayer request in this place, are you like, yeah, I'll pray for you, but then you go about your day? Or do you really pray for them? Church, let's be a church that actually prays for one another. When someone gives you a request, like we don't just ignore it or say we will, but we actually do it and we actually pray for one another. Look, is the people that you need to consistently pray for our government leaders? Now, I know many of us have lots of complaints about the government. I know many of us think that there's, will be never, it'll never be good anymore. Like nothing will ever be good in the government anymore. So why should we even pray? But let me just say, we are called, we are challenged to pray. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says, First of all, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Look, some of us have been complaining about the president and the vice president, but have you prayed for the president and the vice president? You've been complaining about the governor and the lieutenant governor, but have you actually prayed for them? Look, we need to be praying for our government leaders. But also maybe a person that you need to consistently pray for is someone who's hurt you. It's so interesting that Jesus said that we need to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. And sometimes maybe there's that person in your life who has hurt you, who you've had the hardest time forgiving. Instead of letting them have freedom to run around in your mind, causing you pain and more anxiety, would you instead pray? Would you pray that God will give you the strength to let it go? Look, if you have been forgiven, if you've asked God to forgive you, if you've asked God like to help you release this, look, it has been released. But would you also pray? Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. So would you also pray that they would experience the same grace that you've been given, the same forgiveness that you've been given? Maybe there's even someone who's hurt you that you need to pray for. And my last question, where do you need to compassionately and obediently move toward action? Look, we need to pray consistently for people when we're thinking about praying for one another, but also we need to remember that we need to compassionately and obediently move toward action. Look, John says, look, if there's someone who is in need and we close our hearts, look, how can the love of God be in us? If we know there's an actual need, he says, let us not love in just word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We need to move in obedience and also compassion. 
because that's how we love one another. And even as we're praying for one another, we keep loving one another. You know, many of you guys may remember the series that we did a few months ago on prayer. And I gave this little prayer acronym, like to help us as we're thinking about the Lord's Prayer, going through each one of the steps and thinking about how we can work through that. But again, not make it this robotic prayer, but just a template to follow like what Jesus gave. And so that acronym spelled P-R-A-Y. And I wanted to throw in an extra A today, okay? So you see it up here on the screen. Um, The first P in that word pray is to praise God. Man, we praise God for who he is. We praise him for what he's done. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. But then we also take time to repent of sin when we're praying. Again, we take time. Look, if God is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, we take time to pray. We, We confess our sins. We ask him to forgive those who have sinned against us as well. And then we ask God for whatever someone else needs and for our needs. And again, we're praying for one another. We're not just saying we are, but we're actually praying for one another. Now, here's the extra A I slid in there. It's to act. Look, it's something that you're praying for or someone that you're praying for, and you know you need to take a step. Would you pray that God will give you the courage and the strength to actually take a step? Again, church, we don't just love with our words and our talk, but actually in deeds and in truth. So even as you're praying for somebody, if you know there's something you can do, pray for them, but take a step in actually helping them. Of course, the wise to yield. Man, we pray in accordance with God's will. I love when Jesus said, look, whatever you ask in the Father's name, it is sandwiched between loving one another and obeying what I've commanded. And then John repeats the same thing. Look, it's in loving one another and obeying what I've commanded. At the end of the day, we submit our wills to the Lord as we love one another, as we pray for one another. We do what it is that the Lord has commanded. So as our worship team comes back up to the stage, church, what are we going to do? We're going to love one another. Look, is there an absence of love on display in your life right now? Is there someone that you need to forgive? Are you moving toward hatred and letting bitterness rule and define your life? Because John says that is death. But life is forgiving one another and loving one another. So is there an absence of love on display in your life right now? Is there someone that you need to put on an abundance of love, an abundance, an abundant display of love towards someone right now in your life? Are you praying for one another? Are you consistently praying for someone? Is there someone that you've stopped, but you need to start praying for again? And then as you pray for one another, look, we need to move in obedience and compassion toward people because we love one another we pray for one another, and we obey what the Lord has commanded. In fact, would you pray with me this morning? I'm going to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm just wondering this morning, as um, the worship team plays softly under me to make me sound more spiritual in this moment, I'm just wondering right now, just sitting out there, look, loving one another, it's so simple, but it can be so challenging. I'm just wondering, if someone right now, you would say, look, there is a relationship right now, that is so challenging and it's so hard. And I know what I need to do, but Andrew, it's so hard. Would you raise your hand up so I can pray for you? Okay, you're having challenging, okay. And I want you to know, look, you are not alone in that. Again, it's so simple, it's so challenging, but it's what God has called us to do. 
And church is one of those things I can't fully explain, but when we're obedient in this, God produces freedom in us. So even in that challenging relationship, would you love, would you forgive as God has called you to? And I'm just wondering, okay, we're talking about praying for one another. Is this something right now, people sitting out there today where you just need something to pray for? Man, you, there's a situation you don't know what to do. You need wisdom. Um, there's a, a diagnosis you just got. You need help. There's something that you need prayer for. Um, would you even just stand up where you are so I can pray for you? Okay, something that you need to need prayer for right now. Would you stand up so I can pray for you? Okay. All right, anybody else? Father God, I just want to say, Lord, that we desperately need you. God, I love how simple this call is, this challenge is to love one another. But Lord, it can also be very challenging. But Lord, would you give us grace? God, would you give us strength? God, again, we don't want to identify with the family that is promoting death. but We want to identify the family that's promoting life and actually loving one another. So even when it's hard, Lord, would you help us to be a church that goes all into this, where we're really loving the brothers and sisters, God, where we're really loving the people in our home, God, where we're really loving one another. But God, I pray for those who are standing up right now. Lord, even those who may be embarrassed to stand up, God, I pray that even this week, you would meet them right where they are. God, and I pray in accordance with your will, how you want to move in their lives, God, would you speak to them through your word? God, would you provide for them? God, would you help them to know that even in this moment, even if you don't take whatever that thing is away, that your grace is still sufficient. Your power is made perfect in weakness. God, we trust you in everything, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.